You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present The Sandman Lullaby with your host, Patrick Sean Jones. Let's start the show. I had a dream, which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished and the stars did wonder, darkening in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the ice earth swung blind and blackened in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came and brought no day, and men forgot the passions and the dread of this their desolate, and all hearts were childish, and a selfish prayer for light and they did live by watchfires, and the thrones, the palaces of crown kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell, were burnt for beacons. Cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes to look once more into each other's face. Happy were those who dwelt within the eye of the volcano, and their mountain torch of fearful hope was only the world contained. Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded, and the crackling trunks extinguished with a crash, and all was black. The brows of men by despair light worn an unearthly aspect as by fits that flashed fell upon them some laid down and hid their eyes and wept and some did rest their chins upon their clutched hands and smited and others hurried to and fro and fed the funeral pyres with fuel and looked up with mad despotude on the dull sky the pall of the past world, and then again with curses cast them down upon the dust, and gashed their teeth, and howled the wild birds, and terrified did flutter to the ground, and flapped their useless wings, and the wildest brutes came tame and tremendous, with vipers crawled tended themselves among the multitude, hissing but stingless. They were slain for food, and war, which was for a moment no more, did glut himself again, and the meal was brought with blood, and each stale suddenly passed 
gored himself in gloom. No love was left. All earth but one thought, and that was of death. Immediate and ingenuous, and the pang and the famine fell upon the entrails. Men died, and their bones were tombless as their flesh. The meager by the meager were devoured. Even dogs assailed their masters, all save one. And he was faithful to the course, and kept to the birds and the beasts and famished men at bay till hunger clung them or dripping dead lurked their lank jaws himself sought out no food but with a pitless and pinchful moan and the quick desolate cry licked his hand which answered not with a careless then he died the crowd of the famished by degree, but two of the enormous cities did survive. And they were enemies. They met beside the dying embers of the altar place where they had been hipped masses of holy things. For an only holy vestige they raked up and shriveling scraped with their cold skeletal hands the feeble ashes and their feeble breath blew for a little life and made a flame which was a mockery then they lift up their eyes as the glowing light and beheld each other's aspect saw and shrieked and died when of their multitude hideous they did die unknowing who he was upon who they brow famine had wrought a fiend the world was void the populace and the powerful were as a lump seasonless herbless treeless manless lifeless the lump of death a chaos of hard clay the rivers lakes and oceans all stood still and nothing stirred within the silent depths. Ships sailorless lay rotting upon the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal as they dropped. They slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead, the tides were its grave. The moon, their mistress, had expired before the winds were withered in the stagnant air and the clouds perished darkness had no need of eight of them she was the universe
you're in the Sandman lullaby here on RPA, Real Paranormal Activity. This is your host, Patrick Sean Jones, coming to you once again. And I think this is episode number eight for you that are actually keeping track out there. And this episode, I think we're going to talk about death and dreams. But let me introduce the man that is in the studio with me, because actually I talked to him a long time about this, and he knows a lot about death and dreams, and that is Mr. E-Rock the Sinister. Howdy. What's up, brother? Not much, man. Well, I actually, what I want to do is, well, let me introduce first, you know, for the people that really don't know E-Rock the Sinister. He uh, was a producer of Fast and Shitty Radio. Loud, Fast, Shitty. Loud, Fast, Shitty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was a co-host on there. Yeah, and uh, producer of Cycle Realms on WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. Yes, He's also a uh, member of a band called Sin God. Yes, which is not active, but yes, lead guitarist in there. And also, uh, you were... I am a still in a band. Bass player, lead sing, well, singer and songwriter of a band, punk rock band that's been in the Bay Area for twenty years called Pigpen. Pigpen. Yeah, and we definitely are a loud, fast, and shitty. Well, the the thing is, what I want to talk to you. You told me a long time ago about this, and that's that you were actually raised on an Indian burial ground. Yeah, I mean, I know there is there is Indians. There's people. Died. There's there's probably battles that just happened there. I mean, it, the land is just very sacred. We always arrowheads everywhere, and I mean, it's not like didn't find any bones and stuff like that. But you know, definitely traces of of you know the history there. But um, yeah, there was a lot of supernatural things that's happened there, and I would say growing up, about ninety percent of my dreams would happen there. That would go to that place. This land in my dreams. Well, see, that's what I was wondering about, because on episode number four, I was talking to Aaron Hunter and Katie Montana Jordan, and one of the things we were talking about was if that during your dreams, if location has anything to do with your dreams. And Aaron basically said no, he didn't think so, and Katie said yes. So there's a 50-50 right there. Well... you know, what's weird is like with dreams, they can be random. They can be anywhere. But I, I felt there was something there when, when the majority of my dreams kept pulling me back to this land. You know, like this, this is where my, grand, the, my grandpa and grandpa, they built a house. They've passed on now. My uncle still lives there. But this land is, it just, there's always been something there about it. You know, I have, um, in my somewhere down in there, uh, in my past, in my lineage, whatever, is like uh, Cherokee and Chippewa. Me and my mom were very connected with Indians. We've always had this. I've she knows she's a she's been an Indian. She was an Indian girl in another life, and um, I feel connected too. I don't I don't know on that aspect, but I definitely feel connected in in a spiritual way, you know. And this lands and this connection, his dreams and the spiritual things that were happening. These were at a young age where I didn't understand it, you know, but there is definitely this connection that, you know, 
to this day, you know. So what kind of wild dreams did you actually have? Well, it's hard to explain, you know. I, I can't remember all these dreams. Well, I mean, but, compared to now. Well, that's when you're well, younger. Yeah, now well, you're older. Dreams Com- now, I I feel like I travel more in my dreams. I see places. I, I meet people and travel places I've never been in my whole life. It's the weirdest thing, but it's just like I, you know, I see things that I've never seen in this planet, in this place, you know, I, I, and I can't really explain it because it's so unique, but I feel like I go different places, you know, that's not here. Dreams are so unique. And sometimes dreams, you know, you, you can't understand it. They're so mixed up. But but growing up, my dreams don't happen. It's different now, but like it's it's complex. It's, you know, I can't really explain that a lot of times where I go. But growing up, it, dreams were just you know, it was always happening. It would be at this land. And I, every once in a while, I might have a dream there. Sometimes my grandma's there, and I know she's dead, and I say something, you know, like, I don't know if she's coming, trying to come back and connect a little bit, but it's, it's weird, too, because I'm like, I know she's dead in my dreams, and I say shit, but she's gone, you know, like, it doesn't, don't get the true connection with her, but, but I'm telling you, all my dreams as a kid growing up, to teenager growing up, like, Man, I just I kept having dreams, always connected to that land, to that place. Well, see, what I've been doing lately, I've been reading the uh, from H.P. Lovecraft. I've been reading the dream cycles that he was been doing, and one of the stories that uh, that I'm going to do tonight is called Celibus, mm-hmm. and basically, it's about a guy that he he loses everything, but in his world, he is poor, but in the dreamlands, he's rich. And right. what he starts doing, because he can't get where he wants to go, he starts using hashish to enhance his dream journeys. You know, you know, most Native Americans, they use different substances usually to help them go through like a waking dream or a dreamscape. Right. And uh, have you ever had any experience? You know, this is not, well, this is not pointing towards saying everybody use drugs. Let, let me, I don't. I'm not necessarily on the drug aspect, but let me tell you this. I've had a dream come true. Okay. I've had a dream come true. That was a very, another spiritual thing in my life. I had this dream that I was walking on a plateau. It was like land, like sand. And I walked up to this like shack. It was kind of like an old rusty aluminum roofing you know, with just two by fours, kind of like a little shack, not really no walls, you know, not really filled in sand, like it was grass. And then it went into the sandy area and there was like stones, you know, ran as as sidewalks and stuff, but all the rocks, all the stones were like, say it was all one blue. They're all perfectly rolled, you know, laid. So they're like design. Right. Very unique. And, um, I remember, like, there was a couple different guitars, like, and they were, like, laying in the sand. And there was this lady and guy came out of nowhere. I guess I ran up on their little shack in this plateau. I mean, it was really weird. And um, I remember seeing this guitar, and I was like, ah, seven string. And I remember picking it up, and it was kind of falling apart. It was, like, broken. And Skip to the point where the lady was like, we'll get you, you know, we'll get it for you or something. It was like there were, I was going to get it, you know. And I woke up three days later, I'm driving 
I look up at this sign as a pawn shop, and it's it says like guitar starting at twenty five dollars. What up? up? Hook sinker. I slid in. Let me go check this out. So I go in. I walk down the row of their guitars in this pawn shop. And um, kind of walk back. And I said, let me look one more time. I'll go through them again. And that second time that I walked back down, it's like I, did, I missed it the first time. And something told me, hey, go one more time. Go look again. And I looked again. And there's this moment. I looked. And there was this black seven-string guitar. Wow. Hanging just hanging there and i remember just instantly you know that moment of like that eureka feeling oh man hair stand up like well just like wow whole i was like dream world for a minute like holy and i grab it and um the knob one of the knobs there was like a little bit of damage so there was a damage connection from the dream so i turn around i'm like oh it's like 65 dollars dude this is still you know and i grab it and I go over there to the, and this lady and a guy, <laughs> the lady, the guy comes out. Oh yeah, man, that's you're getting a real good deal because the damage. And the lady's yeah, yeah, ringing it up for me. I'm like, is it play right? And like, yeah, lady and the guy. That's the connection in dream. The guitar, the damage that was on the guitar is why it was so cheap because they couldn't sell for full, you know, higher price because it had some damage. So, okay, I buy it. Let me tell you. On the whole neck is flying do- is doves, flying doves. Okay, and it's a seven string. Seven is my number. I was born in 1977. You're snowed in Florida. Elvis died. 77 is a very powerful seven. You know, like guitar seven string doves flying on it. This dream just happened. It just came true. The lady that I mean, and I and I, but I wasn't even thinking about the dream at the moment. I drove. Up to where I worked, my buddy was working there. I was so excited. Like, I walked in the back of the kitchen. I'm like, look, dude, seven string. And he looks at me. He goes, bro, didn't you just have a dream about that? I, I stopped, frozen, dead in my track. All my hair stood up. And I was like, holy shit. I did. I mean, it was just like this moment of everything just coming together. Like, I was epiphany right there. I was just like, my head exploded, you know? That, my friend, was like, from the dream... To really happening in real life. That was, I mean, blown away. That's actually cool, dude. Very blown away. That's actually cool. The question is, for you, the listener, what experience have you had in your dreams that actually are a possibility to being true? What we're going to do is we're going to check out this story. The story is named Celephus, and this is by Howard Philip. Lovecraft. Celephus by Howard Philip Lovecraft. November 1920. This story is in the public domain. In a dream, Kareni saw the city in the valley, and the seacoast beyond, and the snowy peak overlooking the sea and the gaily painted galleys that sailed out of the harbor towards the distant regions where the sea meets the sky. In a dream, it was also that he came upon his name of Kareni's, for when awake, he was called by another name. 
Perhaps it was natural for him to dream of a new name, for he was the last of his family, and alone among the indifferent millions of London, where there were not many to speak to him and remind him of who he had been. His money and lands were gone, and he did not care for the ways of the people about him. He preferred to dream and to write of his dreams. What he wrote was laughed at by those of whom he skewed it, so that after a time he kept his writings to himself and finally ceased to write. The more he withdrew from the world about him, the more wonderful his dreams became, and it would have been quite futile to try to describe them on paper. Karenis was not modern. It did not think like others who wrote, while they strove to strip life and its embodiment of robes and myth, and to sow its naked ugliness and foul things that is reality, Kareni sought for a beauty alone. When truth and experience failed to reveal it, he sought it in fancy and illusion, and found it on his very doorstep among the nimbulous memories of childhood tales and dreams. There were not many persons who knew what wonders are open to them in the stories and the visions of their youth. For when a child will listen and dream, we think of half-formed thoughts. And when men, we try to remember, we are deluded by the parasitic with the poisons of life. But some of us awaken in the night with strange phantasms of enriched hills and gardens of fountains that sing in the sun of golden cliffs overhanging murmuring seas of plains that stretch down to sleepless cities of bronze and stone and the shadow companies of heroes that ride on white horses along the edges of thick forests and then we know we have locked back the ivory gates into the world of wonder which was ours before we were wise and unhappy. Karenis came very suddenly upon the old world of childhood. He had been dreaming of the house where he was born the great stone house covered with ivy where 13 generations of his ancestors have lived and where he had hoped to die. It was moonlit and he had stolen out into the fragrant summer night. Though the garden down the terraces passed the great oaks of the park and along the long white road of the village, the village seemed very old, eaten away at the edge like the moon which had compensated it to wane. And Karenis wondered whether the peaked roofs and the small houses had slept or death. And the streets were spars of long grass, and window panes on which sides were either broken or firmly starred. Karenis had not lingered, but had plodded on through summoned towards some goal. He dared not to disobey the summoning to fear it might prove an illusion like the urges and the aspirations of the waking life, which did not lead to any goal. When he had been drawn down a lane that led off from the village street towards the channel cliff and had come to the end of things, to the precipice and the abyss where all the village and all the world fell abruptly into the unechoed emptiness of infinity. And even where the sky ahead was empty 
and unit from crumbling moon and peering stars. Faith had urged him on, over the precipice and into the gulf where he had floated down, 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 past dark, shapeless, undreamed dreams, faintly glowing spheres that may have been partly dreamed dreams, and laughed winged things that seemed to mock the dreamer of all the worlds. Then a rift seemed to open in the darkness before him, and when he saw the city and the village gleaming radiant far, far below with a background of sea and sky and the snow-capped mountains near the shore. Karenis had awakened the very moment that he beheld the city, yet he knew from his brief glance that it was no other than Selephes, the valley of Uthnaga, beyond the Turanian hills where his spirit had dwelt all the eternity of the hour one summer afternoon very long ago, when he had slipped away from his nurse and let the warm sea breeze lull him to sleep, and he watched the clouds from the cliff near the village. He had protested then, when they had found him, waking him, and carrying him home. For just as they arose him, he was about to sail in the golden galley for those alluring regions where the sea meets the sky. And now he was equally restful for awakening, for he had found his fabulous city after forty weary years. But three nights afterwards, Crenys again came to Selephus, and before he dreamed first of the village that was asleep or dead, and the abyss down from which floated the silent, then the rifts appeared again, and he beheld the glittering minarets of the city, and saw the grateful galley riding at anchor in the blue harbor, and watched the grottoed trees of Mount Arnes swaying in the sea breeze. But this time he was not snatched away, and like a winged being settled gradually over the grassy hillside, till finally feet rested gently on the turf. He had indeed come back to the valley of Utnanar and the splendid city of Selephus. Down the hill amented scented grasses and brilliant flowers walked Karenis over the babbling Norax on the small wooden bridge where he had carved his name so many years ago. And though the whispering grove to the great stone bridge was desolate, all was as of old, nor were the marbles discolored, nor the polished bronze statues upon them tarnished. And Crenny saw that he had not to tremble least the things he knew had vanished, for even the centuries on the ramparts were the same, and still as young as he remembered them. When he entered the city, past the bronze gates and over the onyx pavement, the merchants and the camel drivers greeted him as if he had never been away. And it was the same tortoise temple of Nathatak, where the orchid-weathered priest told him that there is no time in Otha Nagal, but only perpetual youth. Then Karenis walked through the traders and the sailors and the strange men from the region for where the sea meets the sky. There he stayed long, gazing out over the bright harbor where the ripples sparkled beneath the unknown sun and where rode light 
galleys for their place over the water. And he gazed also upon Mount Aran, raising relentlessly from the shore, its lower slopes green with swaying trees, and its white summit touched the sky. For that, more than ever, Corinne's wish to sail into the galley to that far place, which he had heard so many strange tales. And he sought again the captain, who had agreed to carry him so long ago. He found the man, Athab, sitting at the same chest of spice he had sat upon before, and Atham seemed not to realize that any time had passed. Then the two rowed to the galley in the harbor, and gave orders to the oarsmen, commenced to sail out of the bellowing Carthithian Sea, and to lead to the sky. For several days they glided undiligently over the water, till finally they came to the horizon, where the sea meets the sky. Here the galley paused not at all, but floated easily into the blue of the sky around fleeting clouds tinted with rose, and far beneath the keel Corinnes could see strange lands and rivers and cities of a surprising beauty, spread in the sunshine which seemed never to lessen or to come to an end, and that would soon enter the harbor of Sermeranian the pink marbled city of the clouds, which was built on the eternal coast, where the west wind flows into the sky, but as the highest of the city's cavern towers came into sight, there was a sound somewhere in space, and Karenis woke in his London apartment. For many months after Karenis sought the marvelous city of Salafes and its sky-bound galleys in vain, those dreams carried him to many glorious and unheard places. No one whom he met could tell him how to find Uthnagal beyond the Tyrrhenian hills. One night when he went flying over a dark mountain where there were faint lone campfires great distances apart and strange shaggy herds with tinkling bells on the leaders and the wildest part of the hilly country so remote the few men could ever have seen it. He found a hideously ancient wall or a causeway of stone zigzagging along the ridge and valley, too gigantic to have ever risen by human hands, and of such length that neither end could be seen. Beyond that wall in the gray dawn he came to the land of quiet garden and cherry trees, and when sun rose he beheld such beauty of red and white flowers green foliage and lawns, white paths, diamond brooks, blue lankets, carven bridges and red roofs that he had for a moment forgot about Selephus and sheer delight. But he remembered it again, and when he walked down the white path towards the red roofs, he would have questioned the people of that land about it. Had he found that there were no people there, but only birds and bees and butterflies? On another night, Karenis walked up a damp stone spiral stairway endlessly and came to a tower window overlooking a mighty plain and river lit by the full river bank, and he thought he beheld some feature or arrangement which he had known before. 
he would have descended and asked the way to Uthagonal had not a fearsome aura sputtered up from some remote place beyond the horizon, skewing the ruin and antiquity of the city and the stagnation of the reedy river and the death lying upon the land as it had laid since King Cathanothes came home from his conquest to find the vengeance of the gods. So Corinne sought fruitlessly for the marvelous city of Selephes and its galleys that sailed to the Soredian in the sky. Meanwhile, seeing many wonders, once barely escaping from the high priest not to be described, but who wears a yellow silken mask over his face and dwells alone in a prehistoric stone monastery on the cold desert plateau of Ling. In time he grew so impatient in the bleak intervals of day that he began buying drugs in order to increase his periods of sleep. Hashish helped a great deal and once sent him into the part of space from which does not exist, but where glowing gases study the secrets of existence, and the violet-colored gas told him that this part of space was outside what he had called infamy. The gas had not heard of planets or organisms before, but identified Corinne's merely as one form of infamy which was matter, energy, and gravitation did exist. Corinne's was now anxious to return to his studies of Selephus and increased his dosage of drugs, but eventually he had no more money left and bought no more drugs. And then one summer day he was turned out of his garret and wandered aimlessly through the streets, drifting over a bridge to a place where the houses grew thinner and thinner. And it was there the fulfillment came and he met the courage of knights come from to bear him thither forever. Handsome knights they were, astride roaming horses, and clad in shining armor with clods of gold curiously emblazoned. So numerous were they that Karenis almost mistook them as an army, but their leader told him that they were sent there in his honor, since it was he who had created Othak Nagal in his dreams on which account he had now been appointed its chief god forevermore. Then they gave Karenis a horse and placed him at the head of the cavalcade, and all rode majestically through the downs of Surrey and onwards towards the region where Karenis and his ancestors were born. It was very strange, but as the riders went, they seemed to gallop back through time. For whenever they passed through the valley into the twilight, they saw such houses and villages as chasers of men before him might have seen. And sometimes they saw knights on horseback with small companies of retainers. When it grew dark, the travelers more swiftly, till soon they were flying uncannily as if in the air. In the dim dawn they came upon the valley which Corinne's had seen alive in his childhood, and asleep or dead in his dreams. It was alive now, and early villagers courted the horsemen, clattering down the streets, turning off into the lane that ends into the abyss of dreams. Corinne's had previously 
entered the abyss only at night and wondered what it would look like during the day. And he watched anxiously as the column approached its brink. Just as they galloped up the rising ground to the precipice of the golden glare, came somewhere out of the east and hid all the landscape in its efficient draperies. The abyss was now a seething chaos of rosettes and curating splendor, and invisible voices sang exultantly as the knights in courage plunged over the edge and floated gracefully down past glittering cloud and silvery curiosities. Endlessly down the horsemen floated, their charges pawing the ether as if galloping over the golden sand, and then luminous vapors spread apart to reveal a greater brightness, the brightness of the city of Selephus, and the sea coast beyond, and the snowy peak overlapping the sea, and the gaily painted galleys that sail out of the harbor toward the distant regions where the sea meets the sky. And Kurinis reigns there over Othanagal and all the neighboring regions of dream, and held his court alternately in Selephus and in the clouded fashion serene. He reigns there still, and will reign happily forever. Though below the cliffs of Innsmouth, the channel tide played mockily with the body of a tramp who had stumbled through the half-deserted village at dawn played mockingly and cast it upon the rocks of an ivy-covered tower where a fat, noble, especially offensive millionaire brewer enjoys the purchased atmosphere of extinct nobility. That was Silifus by Howard Philip. Lovecraft. Hey, I'd like to remind you on Monday, don't forget to listen to uh, Aaron Hunter and uh, Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. And on uh, Tuesday, Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show. You know, he basically uh, reads stories and uh, looks at some horror movies just because, yeah, a lot of them out there are pretty bad. And he, he'll let you know what, how they are. And uh, on Wednesday, Terry's mysterious moments this has been the sandman lullaby and uh, if you have anything to say if you want to talk or if you have any input feel free to go ahead and write me patrick sean jones at sandman lullaby at gmail.com uh e-rock the sinister yeah man hey appreciate you uh having me on dude and, uh, I, I cannot do anything without having you in the studio that's, appreciate it sir. that's the biggest thing but before we leave i want to give you at least a couple seconds in a closing talking to the audience because the audience is out there and uh i want you to basically tell them uh how to embrace their dreams well that is an important thing. Pay attention to your dreams because it's it really there. There's things in your dreams that are part of what's coming up. I mean, there's there's a connection there. and dreams are hard. They're very hard sometimes. How many times you wake up and you just don't remember what? So if you write them down or just you know try to things that really jump out at you, you know, try to keep a memory of that. So for me, sometimes the most important ones like are burnt there. I can't forget them. You know, I. But um, they do ha- they do come true, you know, and it, it's it's good to uh, pay attention. I wouldn't write them off. 
Never yeah. write off your dreams, dude. <laughs> dreams are important. Never write off your dreams. Uh, last thing before I go, uh, question that I ask a lot of the mid- musicians that I know. I thought you were about to say midgets. <laughs> no, I, I, well, I do ask midgets a lot of questions, but this Little isn't people. It. Get uh, it right. huh. But the thing about it is, uh, does your dreams influence your music? You said basically the, uh, the thing about uh, finding a guitar, but have you actually learned music better in your dreams? Um, I, I don't know about that. I, I think it all just, it all adds into everything in my life. But that guitar, it, it came through dreams. I've had another guitar. It was a Ouija board guitar that I seen in a dream. And years later, I have that Ouija board guitar. Really? Yeah. It's not exactly, but it's the Ouija board guitar. It was meant to happen. Dude, I it wonder, came in my I wonder dream if it can actually, it, if you, it teaches you lyrics or something like that, <laughs> you know, Tell me some lyrics I want to know. Well, you know, I don't have hashies, but uh, yeah, smoking yeah, some good yeah. good uh, cabbage there um, has really enhanced my music playing and my creativity. Well, it has. in Florida, you got oak moss <laughs> also. Uh, I wanted to let you know that that uh, poem I read at the very beginning, the name of that poem was called Darkness, and that was by Lord Byron back in 1816. So uh, if you think there is no creativity nowadays, just look back to the past and see how creative they were and about how we could pull that forward into our waking world and into our dreams of today. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this has been the Sandman Lullaby. And in the immortal words of uh, Dr. Paul Bearer, I'll be lurking. Ready? Ready? Yeah. I'll be lurking for you. Ha, 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 ha.